Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. It's This Week in Cricket time. First time in ages we've been doing a This Week in Cricket Hall of Fame. Last week our socials and our emails have lit up with criticism of that final two and Baldy's algorithm. We won't get into that on the show tonight though. We're going to talk current cricket. We've got white ball series going on. England versus the Black Caps. We're at the uh, tail end of that T20 portion of the series and moving into the ODIs. We're also going to talk Australia, South Africa, Asia Cup, and then there's a little bit of New Zealand news in terms of their World Cup squad. I'm barely, uh, barely believe that Lippy can keep uh, the grin off his face. Kane Williamson named in that provisional squad for New Zealand. All coming up on the Top Order podcast. Stay tuned. Well, boys, we are this week in cricket for the first time in a little while. We've had uh, lots and lots going on in terms of Ashes cricket. We've uh, had a little bit of a hiatus, a, uh, a little break of a week, uh, one week off that Lippy's allowed us in the last four <laughs> years. Um, but we are going to talk, I suppose, the lead into this World Cup. It's all mm. hotting up in terms of white ball cricket around the world. Series galore. We can kind of barely keep up, I suppose, with these, you know, what are warm-ups, etc. But plenty of conjecture around squads and we'll come on to, you know, the breaking New Zealand cricket news, which I'm sure when it came into our top order podcast inbox from New Zealand cricket, Lippy, you must have been refreshing that every uh, every five minutes over the last few weeks. Can't believe it, mate. But, but let's start with the series that's in play at the moment. So England, New Zealand, are really one-sided in terms of the results so far. Two absolute mm. shellackings that England have delivered to New Zealand and then New Zealand delivering England a bit of their own medicine in the third game. What's caught, I guess, the Kiwi eye so far? We want to talk about finale and we probably want to talk about pace bowling as well. But yeah, what's, uh, what's caught your eye, boys? That's the first note I have on here is that, yeah, just nothing's been, those games just have not been close. I mean, mm. I, I always sort of find, like, we're talking about T20s, that the ODIs are to come. I think for New Zealand, the ODIs are what I'll be paying a lot closer attention to because we've actually picked, uh, we'll probably get onto it later, there's so many squads being named at the moment for New Zealand, all sorts of different combinations we just saw in the UAE and now these ones in the UK. We The England squad, I think, is the closest to a squad that actually might resemble somewhat what the World Cup squad looks like. So I think that's what's to come. These actual results I don't care too much about. But yeah, I, I do think for New Zealand, the Finn Allen question is the big one because he's he's been dividing opinion, I will say. I mean, New Zealand cricket has invested a lot of time in him. We've clearly from a lot from maybe two years ago, I can't, you know, couldn't quite imagine the time, but you know, the basically since they said we're going to pick you over Martin Guptill, Martin Guptill's been out of the scene since then. It's been a case of we are picking you and all the way through with our white balls for the T20 World Cup, for the white for the ODI World Cup. Has is he delivering? I mean, this this innings kind of showed us what he's capable of, but actually, is this what we're going to get in the World Cup? Is the big question we have to ask now. So the question I've got on my sheet here is what is acceptable for, for failure and success? And I kind of have looked at it from that perspective. And I think it's an interesting one because that threshold changes based on winning or losing. Mm. If we're winning, uh, it's you know less likely to get him, him dropped. If, if he's losing, I find it hard to pin a loss directly on him, if you know what I mean. Mm. There will be a time... I think that we need to look at his average, his strike rate, his conversions. But I don't think that's now. Mm. I think it's more of a lucky dip for me. 
if he scores runs, we win. If if he doesn't score runs, our three, four, five, this engine room, you know, I expect them to pick up the slack and put a score on the board. So I, I don't think it's a time to look at him. We'll put that kind of pressure on him. Let him just go. But yeah, but when when does that time come? I mean, I look, I have various thoughts about about the way he's been going. But I guess when yeah, when does that time come? And I think if we talk about the World Cup, you know, you talk about success or failure. I, you know, I, he to me is uh, I, th- I guess the one day game I think is changing a little bit. You know, that now that it's only ten overs and the, for the uh, power play, and then you've got the the only four players out. A lot that's been made of the T20 form that Van Allen has is that. You know, he's only made it out of that power play, I think, four times. Like, it was three, then he made it out yeah. now until... So it's four times in his in, in his career. If we look to the white ball stuff, I think, you know, potentially his role I see in the World Cup is more like what McCullum did in that 2015 World Cup and more on the... What we've mentioned a couple of times about T20 cricket, that he needs to play kind of match-winning innings. And if he kicks off, like you say, he can win us a game. And I think that is crucial. But it sort of gets to the point where... If he's failing eighty percent of the time, does that actually put us on the back foot too much in those games? It's, uh, yeah, I, I actually don't know the answer to this question. It's a really look a really strange situation, I think, coming into a white ball world tournament, and even with the best run now in terms of the games that are available, he's only going to have played just over twenty one day internationals mm-hmm. leading into a yeah. fifty over World Cup. We spoke a little bit, a couple of podcasts ago, maybe around Harry Brook, um, who's um, actually in a you know worse situation in terms of games played and everyone's clamoring for his talent to be the factor that gets him into that squad I'm sure we might talk about that a little bit later on so I, I see this Finn Allen conundrum for, for you guys is pretty similar to that in that um, I think you you need a little bit more time clearly there's a lot more time in, in the in the ODI game than there is in the T uh, T20 game so really knowing his role and knowing the situations that he might be in is I think going to be really really important um, it is whether or not they're taking a little bit of the, you know, Zach Crawley approach um, and just saying, we, you know, we believe that you might come off sufficiently enough to, you know, to impact enough enough games that that then becomes into a tournament winning um, set of performances. Um, but it's a hell of a risk in uh, in a in a tournament tournament as well with this format as well, where it is a you know a pretty decent length tournament, isn't it? Mm. The other thing that you probably look at is who's going to replace him if you drop him. I mean, we've seen Finnellan in the domestic competition. He's head and shoulders above everybody at the top of the innings. So that's another thing for me. I guess the question before I answer your question is around, like, do you think I'm right that the the role for him is that McCullum role? That, you know, I, I had a... I sort of thought um, McCullum did a great job in that 2015 World Cup. What are, what were his actual numbers? So I went back and looked. So he scored 65 off 49 in the first game. Then he scored 15. Then he scored 77 against off 25 balls. That's that England game. Then scored 50 off 24, 42 off 19, 8, 12, 59 off 26, and 75. then zero. So he, he's actually, like all the games that he's come off, he's come off at an extraordinary rate and put us way ahead of the game. 50% success rate, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, he, and he performed incredibly well. Like, you know, like you said, it's, it's actually over 50%. Do you think that that's the role we want to play? Because when he actually, like if we look at Finnellan's innings, this innings that he's done well in, this 80-odd that he's got against England, he was 20 off 20 balls. And he actually, I mean, the thing is that he he runs and play he plays with the risk. Mm. Sometimes you see players that score quickly, 
but they seem to be able to do it. Mitch Marsh, Marsh we might talk about him a bit later. Sometimes when, he, when he's going well, he's scoring quickly, but he doesn't seem to be taking huge risks. He's kind of flicking flicking the ball off his legs for six. Conway as well, to an extent, yep. yeah, doesn't yeah doesn't seem to, to take too much risk and scores at a decent a decent lick. Let's skip the fast bowlers and maybe there's an answer in this in terms of whether or not Kane Williamson's fit because that really changes the dynamic of the side, doesn't it? If you've got a player like Williamson in there that's, you know, very, very sticky, I suppose you would you would say, does that then give you the, you know, the ability to play someone that might be a little bit of a, a luxury? Is, is it going to come down to the, I guess, the matchups and the permutations that you've got in and around that squad? Well, I think that answers Raj's question as well, because, you, you know, who to replace him, you're really looking at, if you're not going to go with Finn, you're probably going with either... Either Will Young, who's probably been the one who, you know, I think we'll, in, when we talk about Kane, we might end up talking about whether Will Young will actually make the squad now that Kane's been confirmed. But you're probably thinking Will Young or you're thinking one of those middle order guys, probably Daryl Mitchell, goes up to the top of the order. And I think they do play quite different roles than what Finn is. Daryl Mitchell seems to score quickly anyway, and he's sort of probably another one of those players that just seems to be able to score quickly without necessarily taking risks constantly but I don't like that approach and I think if they were going to go away from Finn Allen they would be doing sort of what they did in the um, 2019 World Cup where they went okay Colin Munro it's not coming off for you we're going to replace you with Henry Nichols who's a much different kind of player and to answer your question around the role I don't think that we should pigeonhole him as a McCullum type player Mm. Uh, we've already seen in his short career in the one day stuff he actually changes how he plays completely I agree uh, to how he plays in the 2020 stuff I think um, yeah we shouldn't put it on there I mean what are we looking at here 70, 75 balls for 100 like that's slow yeah. these days and I think he could do that as well within mm. his uh, skills to do that I, I, I think if Finn Allen is going to be successful in the World Cup he has to treat his innings like he can be 20 off 20 mm. he doesn't need to be mm. 45 off 20 I think the innings that I've seen him play really really well I remember one where he got runs and he didn't score he didn't score quickly he actually nudged the ball around a little bit and just hit the bad ball. He's going to get enough balls in his zone that he doesn't have to manufacture shots in, in the World Cup. Yes, it's going to be maybe a little bit lower and slower than he's used to and, and he needs to adjust his game of fraction. But if he takes undue risk, he's not going to come off 50% of the time. He's mm. going to come off once, maybe twice in the tournament. And that's not enough for New Zealand because if, he's, if New Zealand are going to make a final, he needs to come off in one of those knockout games. He needs to come off in a semi-final like like McCullum does but he doesn't need to be 60 off 20 he needs to be 60 off 45 and Conway's going around him and yeah. Kane's going around him and, and and New Zealand are one for 90 one for 100 rather than 20 for one off three overs which is the alternative and that's I don't think that sets you guys up for a tremendous amount of success because your middle order is very strong and they can capitalise on a good start. But if you're 20 for three, then it becomes a lot harder for Mitchell to dig you out of the poo. Without making this a 97-minute segment, <laughs> um, let's talk about the rotation that you know is clearly evident in the squads that New Zealand have picked coming up for this Bangladesh uh, Bangladesh stint as well mm. and then we've got the Kane <clears throat> question as well I mean my two cents right decision to get him in the squad if he's if they think he might be a chance because they can always replace him um, more risky to have him there as someone that they think they might bring in if someone else gets yeah, injured and then, you and, then bring him in. and then you've got a you know you've got a little bit of a yeah a little bit of a, a conundrum there but 
have you got any concerns that you you, you don't know your best 15 or 16? I, I don't know. I mean, I think the fact that they, they're naming, so they've named Kane Williamson today. They've said that he's going to be, they've signaled that he's going to be in the squad. We're recording this on, on Tuesday, the 5th or whatever it is. They're saying that they're going to name the squad on the 11th, Monday, the 11th New Zealand time. So uh, they've already got that squad penciled in, if you ask me, that they already know what those sides are. And I think the, I think more the the rotation, and you know, even when I look at my squad on paper, I think the top 11 is very clear to me. It's the four reserves that I don't quite know how they all fit in. And, and I think probably the, your balance question, you know, I might throw it to Raj here because I don't know. I mean, I think in New Zealand terms, we've talked many times about how we play with very consistent, like we've praised New Zealand for having a very consistent lineup. This last month or so, and even in this uh, lead up to this World Cup, so the, the what you're referencing is this Bangladesh series, where pretty much half the top squad, Kane's not going to be there, and then half, you know Conway, Latham, a whole bunch of other guys are not going to be in the, the squad to Bangladesh, which is three ODIs, I think, in, you know about 10 days out before the World Cup. And so... It's basically filled with second, you know, second second team players. Like, is this disruptive? It's it seems to be deviating from a style that's worked for us. If it's not disruptive at all, I I don't know. Didn't didn't we do something similar before the 10, 2020 World Cup? I think we went to or maybe it was Bangladesh as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we took a took a, a, a team that wasn't selected for the World Cup. So. If we look at that, then you know that's great. But in saying that, um, I don't like seeing it. I think it is disruptive. I'd rather see them go and you know play two or three games or two, one or two games um, on tour. I'd rather see that um, with that full squad that that we like we want we want to be taking to the World Cup. From a who's not making it perspective with Kane now around who do, what what do you think about who who's going to who are the candidates to miss out? I mean. I, w- I will just say it's got nothing to do with Kane. I, I, if I were the selectors, I'd be having a serious, a much more serious conversation than I think is happening around Lockie and Adam Milne. I, I think personally, there's probably only room for one of them. And if you, if my eyes and the stats tell me that Adam Milne is bowling better than Lockie Ferguson at the moment, I think he's bowled better for New Zealand, and he's bowled and he bowled better in the hundred. He bowled he's bowled better in the, all of the franchise tournaments that that he's. That, played in in recent times I think the stats back it up and you know whether Adam Milne can bowl 10 overs consistently and make it through a World Cup I think that's been a big challenge for him fitness has been a big challenge whereas Lockie you know he's had his injury troubles but he's been generally been able to be quite uh, useful in those tournaments he obviously made it in the 2019 World Cup and was you know a key player for us at that time but you know, I guess that's the first question I have about squad building. So, so just going on from that question, Baldy, I know you've you've put a, a little squad down there on paper. Mm. Do you see Ferguson and Milne playing in the same eleven? I, I can't see if you can only take fifteen to the World Cup. I can't see New Zealand taking two spare seamers. I can I can see room for Henry, Southey, and Bolt in the first eleven. Yep, and and I think they are the three. You know, when I think about it, Southey, as much as people might, you know think that he's fallen off in the white ball format I actually think he's his variations and things on Indian pitches will be very valuable and I think he'll be locked in and he can bowl in three phases of the game as well which I, I don't yep. necessarily think you can say about um, everybody about your speedsters yeah yeah yep. um, so that being the case you can only take four 
backup players effectively. And I don't think, given that the tournament is in India, that you could take both Lockie Ferguson and Andrew Milne. So I think it's got to be one of the two. Australia are facing a very similar question. Is Milne going to Bangladesh? Yes, yes. Lockie is the captain. And, and that, so that's, that's, where it that's comes the interesting from conundrum message, for me, right? Mixed messages perspective, how could they name him captain? I, I think and he'll then be, not look, take him to the. I think he'll be there. I think he'll be there. I just, you know, like I said, I think that if I was selecting the squad, it would be a very, very serious conversation about whether Adam Milne is actually bowling better than him. All other things being equal, Lockie Ferguson's extra pace is a point of difference for New Zealand. I mean, you know, the 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 seamers that you've got are very, very skilled. Matt Henry has had an excellent last 24, 36 months with the ball, with the ball, with the white ball in particular. But if you if you have Henry, Southey and Bolt, Lockie Ferguson provides a little bit of a point of difference in your attack if there are conditions that can be exploited by genuine pace. And we've seen him when he's on song here two years ago against Bangladesh. It's a very, very different game where Lockie Ferguson's bowling 150Ks an hour and straight. Similar to, for me, for your Finn Allen question, I see Lockie as being a guy that has probably more chance of that match-winning performance. His strike rate significantly lower you're not taking him to contain because mm. every time I've seen him bowl in the last two years, he has gone air miles, mm-hmm. but he, he he picks you up a wicket because mm. he's got that, as as Bordy said, that you know that that little bit of an X factor that mm. um, I would much rather be facing up to, to Adam Mill um, than than Lockie Ferguson. Yeah, I'd rather be fa- in that first game. I'd rather fifth. be facing Ish Sodi, but I, I think he, I think he'll be there. I think yeah. he'll be there. But yeah, I, I guess to answer your the rest of your your question. The more that I keep thinking about this, I think Ratchin is is almost locked in in the squad because we have it, to have another spinner, right? Is that because Bracewell is not there? Yeah. Sorry, okay. I, I think so. I, I you know when I just don't see how they how if they think that Ish and uh, Mitchell Santner are in their top eleven nonstop, you know, for every game, I think they have to have a backup for them. Yep, I would agree. And and so I think Ratchin Ratchin is in. I'm fascinated to see who you've got for the for the next two spots, Baldy, because I think that's where it gets really really tough. Well, so I think it depends on how many bowlers you take in. So if you take Santner at seven and then four bowlers, then you've got assuming Kane plays and Finn Allen plays, then your sort of first eleven is locked in. Yeah. And Will Young, Glenn Phillips. And Chapman are all fighting for spots. Phillips, come on, no, you, Phillips, no is Phillips? In, Phillips is in the in the eleven, come absolutely. Locked so where does where does where does where does Glenn Phillips bat? <laughs> well, he's, he's anywhere at, he's in at, the side. He's at six ball. Then Nisham is the man that you Nisham is the man out of that. Okay. Right. I actually have a bit of a bone to pick. I have written it down here in this current current series that we're talking about. I know it's been the twenty twenties. Glenn Phillips has been betting at five and four. Yeah, behind. In this I find that very very strange. It's an absolute waste, and he he. He looks in incredible form. He looks looking good. Okay, so who's your extra bowling option then if 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 Jimmy Neesham doesn't play? So you've got five bowlers. Phillips Phillips will have to be that. So you've got Phillips and Mitchell are your like sixth and seventh bowlers. Right. That's that's the thing. You're picking five specialist bowlers and you're expecting them to do the job. Right. I think your your other option really is to try and pick Neesham or pick another all rounder and then you know try and cobble together ten overs out of the three of them and only have four specialists. But I don't think that they will do that. Mm. And I think that's what puts Nisham, Chapman, and Will Young really fighting for two spots. And, yes, and, I would agree now. And, yep. you know, I again, I had before, I had Ravindra in that sort of mix. Didn't, you know, like if you just look at the pure 
skill and what they've done for New Zealand and, and all of that kind of stuff, I think probably the three that we just mentioned are above Ravindra in terms of what they could offer to a New Zealand side. But I think because of where it's played, balance of the squad, mm-hmm. you know, in a week's time I could look very silly here, but I, I just think that they have to kind of take Rutchen because they've invested him being that that Michael Bracewell, Mitchell Santner kind of replacement. Any other business on New Zealand? The World Cup now starts in about 15 minutes' time <laughs> after the, the segment. But, um, yeah, and, and anything else you want to talk about from a, a New Zealand perspective as we lead in? Nothing from me on, on New Zealand. I think we've covered the ground. I think for, for I am interested to get your thoughts on, on England, though. And, I mean, you mentioned Harry Brook before and the clamouring that's happening for, for Harry Brook to be in the squad. I mean, you know, like we said up front, T20s, what do they actually mean? And, you know, what are these games actually... Do they have any bearing on World Cup squads? Has it changed your opinion at all about should he be there? Because I think a lot of people said at the start, Harry Brook should be there. And you were sort of more in the camp that actually some of these other guys have done the job for us and I'm okay leaving Harry out. Yeah, I think it was less about I was okay leaving him out. It was more around the... I, I guess the fairness in terms of the, the way that they've selected that ODI squad mm. and who might miss out. I think as I sort of, you know, think about it now and when I probably formulated some of those opinions, I'd not heard um, what the selectors had said and Luke Wright um, saw an interview with him um, shortly after probably the, the last time we spoke about this. And and he actually alluded to the fact that it was, you know, once Stokes was going to be in the squad, it was, it you know, it was almost like that was the decision they had to make. Mm. I don't personally agree with that as the permutation that should be the question mark. Um, for me, I would rather have Butler and Bairstow, um, Bairstow and Milan, uh, Bairstow and Stokes, um, than Jason Roy opening that batting if it gives the ability for to get Brook into the squad. I mm. think David Milan has had a fantastic record over the past 18 months or so in the 50-over stuff. Not to mention the fact I, I think he's probably still ranked in the top 20 batters in in T20 uh, cricket, if mm. not you know if not a little bit higher. So for for me, that the question mark is really around Jason Roy's form, um, and then the, the other person is Liam Livingston. But he offers that bowling, mm. uh, bowling it's a option. Lot in these games. So, so it's you know, and it's really so that's really really difficult. And then the only other option that they would have is is for me to leave a, a bowler out. You know, they've got Sam Curran, David Willey, and Reese Topley, three left arm seamers of similar is pace, different skills, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely different skills. Uh, Curran is nailed on for me. So my question mark would be, you know, could you leave out? Um, and you know, it'd be pretty harsh. And David Willey would be the second fifty-over World Cup in a in a row. He's missed out when he's probably played a lot of the lead-up. Um, mm-hmm. He was you know famously dropped when when Jofra Archer was available right, for that yeah. tournament. So, and I think that you know that's the question I'd be asking, but it isn't the question the England selectors are asking. Going to be very very interesting if he if he gets another couple of scores. Um, you know. Are they going to listen to the Daily Mail and the Sun, or are they going to listen to the plans that they'd formulated before? Yeah, before leading into this series. And I know other people want to talk about different series, but Gus Atkinson, a word on him because I think he's looked great. You know, I didn't, I hadn't, didn't watch a lot of the hundred, but he's impressed me in these couple of games that he's played. Yeah, and look, I guess has has come onto the scene at a really good time for for England. Um, Archer, obviously. Whilst he's, I believe, travelling with the side as a as a reserve, he's probably not 
Um, he's probably similar in terms of his chances of playing a part as Kane, isn't he, really? Um, so I think Atkinson, he's your, you know, he is your depth chart for a Mark Wood, um, particularly with Ollie Stone um, injured. So I, I think he, he, I think he'll be on the plane, whether he's in the 15 or whether he's one of those reserves. And again, it, he might leapfrog one of those left arm options because I think you've got to get him in the in the side with with what he offers, which is you know a speed gun approaching ninety two ninety three mile an hour. So yeah, look, he, he's burst onto the scene pretty well. We've got the speed guns turned up because it's a home series, <laughs> but um, yeah, look, has been very very impressed with with with, with him. Uh, just on our chat, is is it his elbow still? Or is this a different injury? Um, yeah, look, I believe it is still the elbow and the, the kind of rehab around that. And look, I guess getting... Is, is that a bit of a concern? Like, dragging uh, on? I don't know. You're, you, you you boys are the bloody physios. So I, 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 I don't know. Has anyone seen him from five or 600 metres? <laughs> I haven't been that close, but it, no. it would be concerning to me if he's not bowling regularly, right? He hasn't bowled in a long time. He bowled a little bit in the IPL and, and yeah. was injured again. The social media of, of him off the long run in the, in the nets. Right. Um, how quick, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. 97, 98 and if the home speed guns are on him. Well, yeah, and I get, but I guarantee one thing, you wouldn't fancy being the back no, down the other end. No, no, I'd, yeah. I'd prefer to face Rashid, Ali, Rihan Ahmed, Etel, maybe, okay. maybe a bit of Milan. Joe Root. Yeah, Milan ball's good leggies, actually. Mm, yeah. I like his, I like his yeah. ball. Well, let's move on and um, open up the, the Baldwin microphone. So, again, coming live to our Australian <laughs> correspondent, uh, we've got some cricket going on Australia versus South Africa. Mm. What what have we learned so far? We've got some um, ball signing and tampering in the crowd, I believe. And I've got a note here. Are South Africa foxing? I don't know whether that's that a was me. Okay, no, no, that what was me. That, what's, what's the context to that? Well, one? South Africa have been <clears throat> pumped in all three mm. of those T20s and the one day is to come, but the, the South Africa got towed up in those those T20s. And Aidan Markram's opening the bowling. Uh, well, yes. And Temba Babuma, who can't get a gig in his own franchise tournaments, playing. Well, all of these things are South Africa foxing everybody and and going for the Australia prior to the T20 World Cup that we won route to lose everything in the warm ups. And then this is another Australia is winning. I have to play down our chances. Oh, Australia played some great cricket. (laughs) Australia played some fantastic cricket and have and have given the selectors a bit of a David Warner headache because Matthew Shaw I thought was excellent in that in that series. And he's traditionally been a a T twenty player, but he's a very, very good white ball player. He's done a great job over the last several years um, in the domestic scene in Australia, leading run scorer last year. He's given Australia a lot of headaches. And I think he's Closer now to penciling himself into that reserve batter spot for Australia because other batters okay. in that side could could shift down the order and, and whatnot. Um, he, he had, I think, he had a couple of scores, but I, and I thought and he looked and good. A duck as well. Yeah, um, well, that's fair enough. Everyone. But you're good. asking are they foxing? It looks uh, like they're uh, close to their full squad. That's their. Oh, no, they're missing a few. They're missing Rabada, Miller, oh, Klassen, yeah. Quinton de Kock. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, that, that, I guess that's another question. But I think they're missing a lot of batting firepower. Rabat is the only yeah. one that really they're missing yeah. from the bowling. And you could argue that he the hasn't been pumped. that great in the past yeah. 12 months. Yeah, and, since we praised him on the Top Order Hall of Fame, yeah. he hasn't been hasn't <laughs> been fantastic. So that's probably on, on me. But, I, yeah, I do think they're missing a, a decent amount of batting. But, you, I mean, you're right that they've, they've been smashed. And I, I think that the... The decision that South Africa has made around what they want to prioritise, I do think that that, in, not in a weird way, in, in a very important way, now makes these 
ODI and T20 World Cups hugely important very significant yeah. for them because if you know obviously they're doing the T20 you know tournament they're prioritizing their franchise tournament one because they have to make money yep but also I think if that's what you're doing with your game you need to make sure you actually perform at these tournaments so it, they're going to have to lift their game from what they've been showing in this they, they've got a lot of big names in South African cricket that they're potentially going to take to that World Cup, but I haven't seen them come together in any way, shape or form on the series. There have been one or two individual performances over the course of the first three T20s, but they haven't played like a team, and their fielding standards have dropped. I mean, Temba Bavuma is normally a very, very good field, and he dropped some pretty easy, straightforward international chances that gave Australians a couple of lives. And you can't give a player like Mitch Marsh or anyone multiple chances to make runs, otherwise they'll punish you. Go on, tell us about Australia. They're yeah, very good, they're going. They're, they're and, going and, good. And your man, Mitch Marsh. They're going good. Wait, oh, well, where do you, where's he going to bat in the ODIs three. For, for Australia? Three. He bats at three, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, there was talk of him opening the batting. I really like him at three and Steve Smith at four because Marsh can bat with absolute freedom knowing that if he doesn't come off, Steve Smith can kind of nudge it around and play a bit of a Joe Root, um, Kane Williamson role and kind of hold that that middle order together. Because if you have a look at the way Australia are set up, if they play their, what I think is their preferred sort of first 11, behind Smith are going to be players who are explosive. There'll be Maxwell, potentially a Green or a Stoinis or a Hardy, and then you've kind of got Carey and the bowlers after that. So, you know, Smith becomes a very, very important cog in that middle order for Australia, but it's Warner or Short, Head and Marsh in the top three that need to get Australia off to a bit of a flyer in that first 15 or 20 overs. And then we build a little bit more traditionally through the middle, I think, with Smith, rather than having a look at some of the England sides or the New Zealand side even that can kind of explode from anywhere in the order. So the only concern... Sorry, go ahead, Raj. I was going to say, this ODI series coming up, sorry to cut over you, is it important for anyone more so than uh, David Warner? Do you think if he has three failures... I think if he has three failures, Australia have to look at whether or not we pick Matthew Short, particularly if Matthew Short has some success. The other challenge that we've got is if you have a look at that top six or top seven, there's no wicketkeeper bat in there. There's no Joss Butler. There's no Tom Latham. There's no Ishan Kishan. It's Alex Carey at seven who's a tremendous gloveman and a very steady player. And he has made runs for Australia in the past. But he's not that same calibre of explosive Butler, Bairstow, Gilchrist type of player who can bat in the top three or four for Australia and and wear the gloves. So we are carrying an extra player at number seven in Alex Carey. So the question for me is, can Josh Inglis force his way into that side with some tremendous batting over the next three or four weeks? I don't think Australia will pick Josh Philippi. I don't think they'll go to anyone else. It's Inglis or Carey. But I don't think we can afford to carry two because we've just got too many other players that we need to cover in that squad to be able to pick both Inglis and Carey. So I think one of them will travel as a reserve for the other and will only come in through injury. Has, has, uh, when we talked previously about the Aussie squad, we talked a bit about the all-rounders and you se- you seemed a little bit concerned about you know making up the extra overs and all of that kind of stuff. Has yep. Stoyness' bowling given you a bit more confidence in this? Because I think he's been excellent in this. In this, I mean, yeah, again, tweak these 
T Twenty games there, yep. things can happen, you know, very di- you know very differently in a, in a short format game. But he's bowled up front, he's bowled at the death, he's bowled in, in different situations, and actually equipped himself pretty well. Yeah, he gives us a, he gives us a great option. And if you have a look at the way that Australia set up, Maxwell becomes a real question mark for me because he's still getting over that leg injury. He had um, yeah. ankle soreness when he got to South Africa, so he's going to have to be managed through the India series. He won't play all of those games, so he becomes a real question mark for me because he could bat at five or six for. Australia, balsam overs, balsam spin in India and give us a little bit more flexibility. But you've got Marsh potentially, you've got Green and then you've got Stoinis to fit between two spots, I think, in that Australian order. Um, maybe even only one spot if you have to take Ashton Agar in at seven to give yourself five genuine bowlers. He himself has got a calf, calf complaint, so there's some, some injury concerns with Australia. I still don't think we've got the ideal setup to go to that World Cup in India because if you play two spinners, Agar bats one too high or you have to leave out one of Stark, Cummins, Hazelwood to also get Zampa in the squad to, for whom I think he's a lock. Zampa, I think he has to oh, play yeah, every game. Yes, so yeah, just, just on the spinners there, the depth chart, we've seen Sanger come out and bowl really well in this tournament. What mm. does that look like to you? What does it look like from a playing in the subcontinent perspective, especially if Agar is... Is injured. Could you guys play two spinners? Well, the the challenge, I think, if you have a look at Sangar's first-class record, he doesn't have a great batting record. I haven't seen him bat a lot, but if you have a look, have a look at his average. It's, it's not, I don't think any average is above ten or eleven in any of the formats. So, if that is true, and he is a genuine number eleven, and I haven't seen enough of his batting to make a determination either way, you're carrying potentially Hazelwood, Zampa, and. Um, and Tanvir Sanger is your 9, 10, 11. Now, I don't want to borrow words out of English cricketers' mouths, but there is a bit of a semblance of they're not great finishers in, in the one-day game. So that would be the concern it's going for to be other, Like New Zealand's going to be in the exact same position. We just nailed, named the side before, and it's Ish Sodi coming in at eight. I mean, he's improved his batting a lot. I give him a lot of credit. But, you know, we've got Sodi, Henry, Saudi. D- different Saudi in the Bolt. T20s than it is in a 50-over game where you might come in and you're... That'll be 140 our, for six. But yeah. that that will be our ODI lineup yeah. as well. So yeah, I, I think yeah. there are. It's you, Australia's not unique in that, and I think I, I don't know. My main concern when I think about these kind of things is you actually just have to trust your batters, and if your batters aren't going to do the job, then you know having Ashton Agar over Tanvir Sangha doesn't doesn't win you those games. Doesn't change. And broken like a true bowler, <laughs> I trust your batters, <laughs> and then whinge in the dressing room afterwards if they don't get enough runs on the board. Go and put the your pants on after twenty overs and sit there sulking. Well, that, heroes when they get twenty seven, not out. Exactly. Um, can I can I just say also? Sorry. So if Agar isn't about is your top score lip twenty seven, not out. Yeah, it's more than that. How many prim fifties have you got up here in, in, in Auckland? Auckland yeah. um, zero. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, so then, if the, if he is injured, Agar not able to play a big part in the World Cup, doesn't that actually put Australia in a little bit of balance issue there? Yes. Who, who's going to bowl spin? Well, it means that Zampa and Sanger would have to play if they were going to play two spinners, and you would probably then have to only pick two seamers because mm-hmm. I think you need a little bit more batting. Um, you can't have Cummins, I think, at seven. I think that's one spot too high. I don't think you can have Stark at seven. That's one spot too high. So you, only, you could only pick two of Cummins, Stark, and Hazelwood if you were going to pick... Sanger and Zampa, which means that your all-rounders, Maxwell Marsh and Stoinis slash Green, would have to bowl then 10 overs between them. Whereas if they had maybe Agar at seven and then pushed everyone up, you've still got to squeeze one of those all-rounders out, but you don't have to have 
overs out of Maxwell and Marsh. You can get, you know, two, three overs here and there and, and burgle a couple, um, which I think will be the way that Australia will have to go uh, if they bat, if they bat Ashton Agar at eight, which to me is a huge risk, huge risk, because then Kerry has to bat in the top six. And again, I think they're one too high. All of those guys are one too high. No disrespect to them because they're all great international players, but you know what I mean. Let's move on and talk Asia Cup cricket. So we've talked a hell of a lot of T20. Um, India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, uh, Sri Lanka playing a 12-game 50-over tournament as a warm-up for the World Cup. Now, there's a novel concept. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, what's, uh, yeah, what's caught our eye so far in, in that uh, tournament? Interesting, you mentioned, the, the I think, the, the Pakistan bowling attack a little bit earlier on. Rohit Sharma out in the press, you know, saying, how do you prepare to play against that Pakistan um, bowling attack, which looks pretty pretty decent, doesn't it? It does. I, the first thing I want to say about this one is I feel sorry for Nepal, you know, in the same pool as India and Pakistan. Yeah. Uh, literally, it really is a pool of death there for them. But yeah, that Pakistan bowling attack is is incredible. We've, we've been saying it for a while. I know. That Pakistan bowling attack is is, is very hard to play. Um, I'd be very surprised to see any final apart from an India-Pakistan final going forward. Does anyone else have any? In the Asia players? Cup or the World Cup? The Asia Cup. Yeah, fair enough. No, I think you're right in that, um, you know, if you, uh, Sri Lanka obviously won it last year, but Sri Lanka missing a couple of key players in this, in this, you know, actual tournament, obviously trying to get themselves fit for, for the, uh, the, the World Cup that follows very, very quickly after. But yeah, I mean, that Pakistan side, like Shaheen Shah Afridi, Harris Ralph, Nazim Shah, I mean, I don't know, you don't, people don't need to hear us talk too, for too long on that because, if anyone needs a reminder about how good they are, then they probably haven't been watching cricket for the past eight, and then Baba, eighteen months. Barbara's arm at the other end, scoring hundreds for fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On on uh, on the the uh, India side that you mentioned before, Ishan Kishan. I mean, by the time this comes out, they would have played Nepal. But at the moment, he's now scored four fifties, four ODI fifties in a row. Obviously, sort of got them back in the game against Pakistan before the rain came. He's got to be locked into that uh, Indian squat, Indian keeping spot now, and probably batting six. I think that's a huge win for them in terms of there were probably a lot of questions. I don't know, six weeks ago, two months ago, about who's going to kind of fill that spot, and they still do seem to have some questions about who are going to fill a couple of other spots. Whether Shreyas I is going to slot in, whether Kaur Rahul is going to come in somewhere. You know what? Whether Shubman Gill, you know his kind of forms fluctuating up and down, but I think it must be huge for them to have Ishan Kishan now kind of locked in. And I think that he's actually benefited a little bit from you know having that having too much too much talent because uh, <laughs> Kale Rahul is probably the one that he was fighting against for the gloves, and I just think that with Shubman Gill and that top three that they've got, you can't fit Kale Rahul in there. Mm. Um, so he's the beneficiary of it, um, Kishan there, but. Uh, is he is he just warm? You know, people are saying he's just warming the gloves for someone like Rishabh Pant when he's back to, to full fitness. But um, he has been billed as a real talent. I mean, you saw that Mumbai Indians documentary back in the day, and they really built him up. And he's you know hopefully starting to deliver. That's what it looks like anyway. Yeah, and and look, I guess it's you know the embarrassment, the riches that that Indian setup's got that he you know probably has had to wait a little bit of time for for his chance with Rishabh Pant. Um, around uh, Kyle Rahul had the gloves for a little while although he was in short sleeves so that was never going to work um, so yeah look, I, I think fantastic that he's he's got that opportunity and uh, he's got a World Cup to nail that 
spot down and you know, it's a serious injury injury that Rashad Pant um, sustained so oh, yeah. Yeah, who, who knows whether he you know comes back um, as strong as he was before he before he went off before we kind of round out the the Asia Cup conversation I, I'm, I mean it's only it's only just started we'll see what happens and, and there'll be a, probably a number of other storylines that we might touch on next week but in terms of those other sides that we you know we talked about India Pakistan we all expect them to be big players in this World Cup do we think that the Bangladesh, Afghanistan, Sri Lanka, do we think that they that they have much of a chance to be uh, b- maybe banana skins or even better than banana skins in this the, in this actual World Cup that we're thinking about? Because you know, quite often we talk about okay, in 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 the subcontinent conditions, those sides are very challenge you know very challenging to play against. But still, when you see you know, sides that are going to be expected to make the semi-finals. You don't often see any of their names anywhere near in any of those conversations. I think the thing for me, so I think Pakistan aside, who I, you know have have actually, if you think about it, not many of their players get to play. Obviously, IPL uh, for you know for, for obvious reasons, so that they're not getting the opportunity to play too often in Indian conditions. Um, but then there's probably an underrepresentation now of, of Sri Lankan players and, and Bangladeshi players in a lot of those franchise tournaments. So to answer your question around banana skin, yes, they're potential banana skins and might impact whether or not I think one of the you know five or six teams that you'd expect to get into the um, you know the latter stages of the tournaments, whether they whether they do, whether any of them have got the the firepower, the artillery to get deep in the tournament and actually cause an upset by winning it you know i'm going to go out on a limb and say i don't i don't think um you know i would be i would be having bangladesh sri lanka um afghanistan i'd be putting them firmly in they're not going to get to the the final stages of the tournament and if one of them makes the semi-final then you know, think of a suitable forfeit <laughs> anyone okay. else have any different differing views on that no, I think the biggest issue is consistency, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a 50-over World Cup. It's not a 2021. You've got to play well for you know sustained periods of times over what nine games nine through the games, through the yeah, round maybe. robin. Yeah, um, I think it will sort out the, the sort of the, the cream will rise to the top. Um, in saying that, I do think that Sri Lanka, uh, particularly out of those ones that you talked about, if they can get the full side that they've got on the park, yeah, um, they have the potential. But um, you know, subcontinent conditions aren't the uh, the barrier that they used to be, especially mm. for the top players. Mm. I, I think that Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Afghanistan are going to cost one of the favourites a spot in the semi-finals because I think they're good enough that they're going to win games in those conditions. Mm. And if you have a look at the closeness of, look, we'll get on to it. In, I think there are three teams that are above the rest at the moment from a, from an ODI cricket perspective at least on paper Australia mm. won't be in this list no. yeah. Yeah. Um, like lift Australia out. then then there are then there are three three sides all fighting for one spot I think in the semi-finals and I think that there could be some uh, like the the team that gets one of those t- those three sides that I'm thinking of if they lose to a Sri Lanka or a Bangladesh that could be the difference between being 6 and 3 and in the semi-finals and 5 and 4 and missing out and finishing 5th you're going to let the listeners and, and not until oh, we get to the preview show no no we we'll wait to the preview show we we'll wait to the preview show bit of, bit yeah. of drama post, for the listeners post, post in the comments down below what you think uh, Baldy's uh, uh, three uh, three locks are bubble and, sides and, and think who who's in that group of three that might just make it yeah anyway. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, should we finish off the podcast with a bit more New Zealand news? So we've got the 
big bash draft has happened. A yeah. couple of left arm seamers there that we might want to talk about. I, I did just think it was worth kind of noting, uh, maybe again with kind of spidey senses on, on all of the Kane stuff that came out. Trent Bolt was not in the BBL auction and obviously was in it last year. And I think I can't decide whether that means it's he's not in that because he's in the World Cup and then obviously goes is going to be in the Mumbai sides that go and play in the other competitions, the Dubai, 20, yep. whatever it is, and, and in the South Africa T20. Or if it means maybe he's going to play some of these, the rest of this home summer for New Zealand. I, you know, very wishful, wishful thinking there. Can I ask? So, if you're not in the draft, can you still get picked up? Because a lot of them obviously yes. didn't didn't make picks in the draft. Yes, that's so, been on a list somewhere, don't I? So, I think you can you can pick your preferred player by signing them to a contract after the draft, mm. but you have to kind of punt that nobody else picks them up mm. in the draft. And interestingly, a lot of the BBL sides passed in rounds two and rounds three, um, and consequently, Rehan Ahmed got picked up. Um, which I think is an absolute steal, um, but there are yeah you can you can sign your preferred player to a contract because I think that you know Bolt not being there, but also Rizwan pulling out and Puran pulling out because mm. they may not be able to play full BBL seasons because yeah. it goes for two hundred matches now. It does <laughs> um, so and clashes with the South Africa tournament, so that is one of the considerations for some of those BBL sides. Not all of them; some of them have picked up BBL players who will only be available for the first half of the tournament. Mm. I'd really love to see Rizwan in the BBL. Oh, that would That'd be so be much fun. Us. The other one that we that you've probably got on your, your list there is that Corey Anderson, fresh off his uh, major league cricket, uh, you know, success I guess has actually you know he was banging sixes hit uh, Rabada for three sixes in a row and that showed what he can do and he's been picked up by I think it's Hobart. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very very exciting to see him kind of back in the mix. Maybe and, he's going to babysit Tim Payne's kids. Maybe, maybe. That, that seems to be how you kind of maybe. get yourself going in, in uh, international tournaments in Australia. Send him a text. We've got uh, a new New Zealand cricket CEO, so that appointment has been made. Lippy, you've got the, the details, no doubt. Yeah, Scott Weenick's been uh, announced as the CEO. I think probably... Did you have something to do with that, didn't you say? Nothing nothing to do with it. It may be a very distant relation, but uh, yeah, nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing that I can contribute on that conversation. Uh, never actually met him personally, but uh, I think probably... What I, I think what that suggests and the first sort of things that I've heard him say is that probably it's going to be pretty much status quo. I did really enjoy the fact that uh, I think the ACC guys, the Alternative Creek Commentary guys, interviewed him. And one of the things that they did talk about is that balance between contracting and trying to uh, make sure that the New Zealand players are very flexible with that contracting and being able to go off and earn their money and still be able to represent New Zealand and you know, trying to get that balance right, which is something yeah. we've talked about quite a bit in the last six months with Bolton, uh, DeGrand Holman, all these other players that are going off and doing that because New Zealand just does not have the money mm-hmm. to give out those central contracts that can compete with those leagues. So I think, you know, that being the first thing that he kind of says in one of the big interviews, I think that's a positive sign from from my point of view. And the other interesting thing I liked, which he said, was if it was up to him, you know, every series would include five tests. Oh, beautiful. Uh, from New Zealand. But, uh, yeah, there's a fiduciary responsibility there. But, look, we might get some more tests out of it or some longer series out of it. I'm sick of these two-test series. Mm. Um, so that's a good sign as well. He's a bit old, bit old school. like it. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. 
And let's finish the podcast on some Red Bull cricket, which is a rarity, um, I guess, and it's going to be a rarity for a period of time. Your home state is hosting a, an A-series border, New Zealand, Australia, with uh, Black Caps with the Bragging Whites from the first unofficial test in Brisbane. Second one um, underway at the moment. But yeah, Lippy, anything you want to pull out of that first test victory, unofficial test match? Just a very good result for New Zealand, I think. If you actually look at, uh, you know, the lineups, there was a lot of quality players in the Australian side, a lot of sort of fringe players for New Zealand, but also a lot of players that hadn't had a lot of opportunity, quite, mm. quite some quite young domestic players for New Zealand, because we've, as we've talked about, there are plenty of players, you know, play, like the Dean Foxcroft, who's actually Dean Foxcroft and Addie Ashok, who were overplaying for New Zealand, kind of flew back in to play this New Zealand A game, and then I think Dean Foxcroft's off to Bangladesh. So a bit of travelling for, for them. But, yeah, I think just a very, very impressive result. You know, New Zealand cricket fan favourite Scott Kugeline kind of absolutely delivered, came through, scored 100, got nine wickets in that uh, in that last, when that first game. Tom Bruce got some runs. We saw, Yeah, we've, we've seen probably the one I actually want to pinpoint is Sean Solia, who's actually uh, scored, scored a 90-odd in that second innings of that first game, took five wickets, Someone I have been wondering about whether he's someone that they look at for a maybe a Colin de Gronholm kind of role in the test game where he can come in and bowl some overs and bat lower down in the order than he actually does for, for Auckland and things. So, yeah, interesting. I mean, from my point of view, it's just interesting to see how those guys step up the next level. It's very important, I think, that A, a cricket and uh, kind of just to see how that group of players then goes in the home summer mm. and, the, and the domestic stuff. Kugelide uh, one is an interesting one because... He's another one of those guys that's sort of head and shoulders above when it, you look at the domestic game, but hasn't made that leap yet into the sort of, um, you know, full-time international arena. Uh, it's good to see him scoring some run, runs and taking wickets. Where do you see him in the setup for New Zealand at the moment? Is he How far away is he? Well, I thought he was miles away when he got selected and then actually did an okay job when he played. So, you know... I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I still think he's quite far down the pecking order, if you ask me. But New Zealand cricket obviously sees something in him. They see that pace. They see the fact that he can come in and swing the willow. And, and actually, you know, that's what he did in that, that game. New Zealand got rolled for 140th, I think, in that first innings of, of the first game. And it looked like, you know, curtains really for them when Australia then bats, gets a 100-run lead. But Kugelein comes in, changes that game, and then takes wickets in the in both innings to, to contribute. So, look... I, if you put the the scores on the board, I think you know your point about him being head and shoulders. I think that's that's the thing for me. In, in the past, uh, you know, but previous to this time that he's been selected for New Zealand, I don't think his numbers have stacked up at all in first class cricket. Yes, he's had the talent and yes, he's had the the ability there, but his numbers have not been good. And I think there's been times where he's been left out of the ND side. Obviously, there's all the off field stuff that's gone on around him as well, which doesn't help all that noise, but. Yeah, I think, you know, for him to be considered a serious contender for New Zealand, he's probably got to put put a really consistent season together for, for ND because actually, like we've talked about, there's still you've still got Wagner, you've still got Henry, you've still got Southie. You know, we're hoping that some of these, you're hoping that we might see Bolt. We're hoping that, you know, one day we might see Lockie Ferguson or someone else get in the mix. We're hoping that Kyle Jamieson is now going to be fit for an extended period of time. Blair Tickner... You know, he's come in. A lot of people don't like what he's been able to do. But again, he's come in, you know, put some okay performances on the board. So there are a lot of names in and around that. And Kugelin's going to have to push himself above that and show that he is actually worthy of a spot. Fantastic. Well, 
boys we will be back next week we've got that one day international series um, starts on Friday we've still got one T20 to go a bizarre scenario of two full match series yeah, um, yeah, but yeah um, that's the future tours program or whatever <laughs> it's called for you so a couple of weeks of reviews of ongoing cricket and then we will have our preview of the World Cup coming up so do get your comments into the chat into the social channels um, or on the website thetopwaterpodcast.com if you want to give us your final fours and who might cause some spoilers during that World Cup and we'll be sure to give a few shout outs during the preview show in two or three weeks time but for now it is good night and good bless from us all here in Auckland we'll see you next week on the Top Water Podcast see you later